The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Revival. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 64, 1-4, and Romans 8, 1-17. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. From the book of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the founding pastor at Sacred City. We want to welcome you. If this is your first time here, uh, there are some bulletin type things in the the seat backs of the chairs, and we'd like you to grab one of those, fill that out, drop it in, uh, drop it off to somebody in the back if you... Uh, if you would like to do that. Um, We are in a series right now we are calling Revival, and we're asking God to do that very thing. And I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to jump right into our text. We've kind of got a lot of work to do, and I'm excited to do it. I like doing this kind of work, all right? This is a gift to me. It's a joy to me, and uh, we're going to get after it. So let me pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Uh, It is a supernatural thing that is happening this morning that you, the God of the universe, communicates through people like me, a sinful man who's um, just trying to 
uh, show what's in your word to your people. And so we need your help to do that. We ask the spirit to come enable me to do that. Enable us to hear what you would have for us. Father, I think you have something special for your people this morning. That there are people here that are longing for something of substance, longing for something to change their life, give them meaning and significance. And I think you are the one who can do that through your word. So would you enable your servant this morning to preach your word with boldness and clarity and help us hear it. There's lots of things clamoring for our attention right now. Our to-do lists are never done. Our children's needs are never met completely. Um, All the responsibilities out there in the world from shopping lists to unfinished projects at work demand our attention right now, but I ask that this power of this Holy Spirit, that you would push those things to the periphery and you would speak to us of things, things of meaning and of substance and of power uh, right now. I ask that you would do this, Father, for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in describing what happened in Jonathan Edwards' Northampton, Massachusetts church in 1734, observers said this, quote, It pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of every Christian grace and powerful practice of our holy religion. This is what God does in revival. He awakens individuals who are asleep to the reality of God. He revitalizes entire churches and these changes bring about a spiritual renewal in the wider culture as Christians integrate their revivified faith into the rest of their lives. This is what we're praying for at Sacred City. We're asking God to revive us and to revitalize the churches of the Quad Cities and to bring about a great spiritual renewal in our city. We're saying, start with us, Lord, Start now. That's what this series is all about. And each week we're taking a look at one aspect of revival. We, we were kind of like reverse engineering this concept of revival and taking it apart and looking at the pieces that are necessary. And hopefully we can see uh, if they are already, you know, active in our life in church. And if they aren't, we can make uh, the necessary course corrections and changes. And this week, we are looking at the Holy Spirit and his involvement in revival. See, in revival, people wake up to the reality of the Holy Spirit. Now, this might make your palms a little sweaty this morning because the Holy Spirit has gotten blamed for a whole lot of weirdness that he just never did, okay? Um... Oh, I, 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 with, tre- I, oh, I kind of want to get out, get into the weeds a little bit there and just go, nope, he didn't do that. Nope, he didn't do that. Um, but I don't have time to go into all of the crazy, over-emotionalized things humans do in revivals or revivalism that they blame on the Holy Spirit. Instead, we're going to look at a few things that the Holy Spirit does From the book of Romans, chapter 8, in this chapter alone, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. But before we jump into this chapter, let me give you a really quick overview of who the Holy Spirit is, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person, 
not an it. Okay? It is not a force. It is not a feeling. It is not a goosebump. It is not a tingle down your spine. It is not a sense. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or power to be used for shock and awe, right? It's not something you tap into to get a little extra strength, right? Like, man, that was a six-yard gain on the football field, but when I used the Holy Spirit, I could have got 10. We talk about the Holy Spirit like it's a force. Like, I could bench 280, but with the Spirit, 315, That's not how the spirit works. See, the God of the Bible exists in what we call the Trinity. Okay? And the spirit is one of the three persons in the Trinitarian Godhead. All right? What does that mean? God exists in three distinct persons. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, one power, one eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, or God the Holy Spirit. There have always been three in one. There wasn't at one time just God the Father, and then he created the Spirit or created the Son. There have always been God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We see this in the Garden of Eden in Genesis where God speaks... Jesus is the word spoken and the spirit is hovering over the face of the earth ready to do the will of the father and the son. God says, let us make man in our image. That's the Trinity, us in our image. So the Holy Spirit first is a person, not a thing. I want you to think about that. He's God and he isn't to be treated like some weird uncle of yours that you tried to avoid at all costs. In fact, if you want to know God, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to experience change in your life in a real, fundamental, heartfelt way, you have to know, love, and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You can't just ignore him. Give me Jesus. Give me God. I don't want the weird guy. Let's just take a cursory. We're going to take a cursory look at some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in Romans 8. And we're going to do that specifically by looking at the titles, the specific titles that he's given here in chapter 8. Look at verse 2. Open up your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, verse 2. We're starting with verse 2. Look at this. For the law of the Spirit of life. Right? You see the capital S there, right? It's referring to the Holy Spirit, the law of the spirit of life. This is the first title here in Romans chapter 8 of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit has life-giving power. He brings dead things back to life. This is the whole idea of our salvation. This is true of us as human beings. We're born in condemnation. We're born under the power of sin and death. We're born dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us new spiritual life. It's as if God puts the paddles on our chest and and brings us to new life through the power of the Spirit. 
Verse 2 specifically tells us that the Holy Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. He brings life to us. And the law of sin and death, let me quote a, a, a commentator here. Here, law, the law of sin and death, law carries the idea of a principle. You were under the old principle of sin and death, but that has been transcended by the new principle of life in Christ, and so you're free. The old principle showed us our sin, stirred up our sin so that we sinned even more, and then brought us to condemnation. But the new principle, the Spirit, liberates us. Death has been replaced by life. Now listen, here's the problem. Most people still relate to God the old way, under the law of sin and death. Johnny Cash sang the song. He said this in his song. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. Many of us walk around in our life with that kind of sense about God. If he really knew me, he's going to cut me down. If he really knew what I've done or what I feel or what I think, he's out to get me. He's going to condemn me. We walk around with the sense that we know we've broken the law. We know we've broken God's command. We don't love him like we should. We don't love others like we should. We love us some me. That's what we love. And we know if God can see our heart and God is a perfect judge and his justice is pure and his condemnation towards us is just. But in this new way, the apostle Paul says, the way of the spirit, the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law and sin and death. And now verse 8 or chapter 8 verse 1 is true of us. Listen, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news for us this morning. If you walk around with a sense that God's going to cut you down, the reality is through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no condemnation for you anymore because Christ was condemned in your place. And now the Spirit brings freedom to us. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear condemnation or fear judgment. Verse 6 says, our minds are no longer dominated by death. Verse 8 says that the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Or verse 6, the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. See, the Holy Spirit here is the Spirit of life. He brings life to every aspect of of our life. If you have him, you have life. Now the second thing we see, look in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, look, the spirit of adoption. God the Father and God the Son decided to adopt us, sinners, broken people, into their family. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies the work of Jesus to us personally to bring us into the family. Let's, just, let's say it like this. God the Father chose us in adoption. He walked through the orphanage. He looked around and he said, I want that one. Right? And we know in ourselves that we're sinful, we're broken. We know how messed up we are. God knows even more how messed up we are and still he saw us and he said, I want that one. 
And then the son, so the father chose us to be adopted. And then the son goes to the cross and he pays the price for our adoption. And we're told in scripture that the price is what? His very own blood. That he lived a perfect life and he died a death for us. He paid the price for our adoption. So he went to the adoption agency. He paid all of the exorbitant amount of costs that go into that. He paid them all for us. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who actually picks us up, changes our family name, like does all the legal work, right? You used to be that, now you're this. And he actually brings us into the family of God, that the Holy Spirit is the one that does that. Now listen, many people think, I, I talk with people all the time about that are wanting to adopt, and they ask, they, we have this, we have a kind of, we have a different idea of adoption these days. Many people say, I don't know if I'm going to adopt. I don't know if I, if I could really ever love a child like I love my own child. And we kind of have the second class notion or second class idea of adoption. But in the first century, when this was written, it was completely upside down. That in the first century, if a person, like especially if a family went and they adopted a child, the notion was that this child was more loved than their own son or daughter because they were chosen specifically. And if you think about how they, they passed down their family name and they passed down their inheritance, this makes sense. That they're choosing, they're literally saying, where do I want my name to go? Where do I want my money? Everything I worked for my whole life, where do I want it to go? And they go adopt a son or they adopt a daughter to hand this down to. That adoption in the first century carried a special weight. I'm not just born, right? You don't get to choose that, right? Whatever pops out of the womb, that's what you got, right? It's like, oh, you got my weaknesses and mama's weaknesses. This ain't good, right? Where were the positive genes, right? But in adoption, you choose. You say, that one. I want you to think about that. That's how God chose you. Before you could do anything spiritually good, before you could do anything beneficial, before you graduated college or got your job or landed the wife or landed the husband, God said, that one. The son said, I'll pay for it. And the spirit says, I'll go get him. And then, I'm setting us up here, so I'll just be, be patient with me. And then, after bringing us into the family of God, the Holy Spirit, verse 16 says, bears with our spirit that we are children of God. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our heart and confirms to us the reality that we really are in the family and there's nothing we can do to be removed from it. This is special. That the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us and teaches us to talk to God as our Father. And not just our Father, he says this. Look at verse, where is it at? Verse, he calls us, we're called him Abba, Father. Daddy. Abba means daddy. That the Spirit inside of us convinces us, says, you know what, you are adopted, you are loved, you are blessed. God is not just a judge anymore. He's your daddy. Now, I know that makes us uncomfortable. In Romans 5, 5, we're told that the Holy Spirit actually pours the love of God into our hearts. 
What does that mean? That means it changes us from the inside out to be lovers of God and lovers of people. So he's the spirit of life and he's also the spirit of adoption. Look at verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. He's not just the spirit of life and the spirit of adoption. He's also the spirit of God. He's one with the father and the son. Let's keep reading. Anyone who does not have the, what? Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Okay, here we go. Spirit of life, spirit of adoption, spirit of God, spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. They are one. That means the primary job of the Holy Spirit. Theologians often call the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. He doesn't talk about himself. Basically, his job is to shine a spotlight on God and shine a spotlight on Jesus. One of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is to show us Jesus. To magnify for us the person and work of Jesus. So anytime that we have a sense of the loveliness of Jesus. Anytime we're warmed to Jesus. Anytime we think good thoughts about Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit is working in that moment. To bring about the good feelings of Jesus. To cause us to love Jesus. To shine a spotlight on the work of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit makes real to us. The work of Jesus. But now listen. So we got the Holy the, the, the Spirit here is the Spirit of life, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of Christ. Most of us, this is academic. This is out there. Okay, what's, what's with the, the theology lesson here? How does that really bother me? Well, this is where things get really uncomfortable. As you read the Old Testament, or actually as you read the whole Bible from cover to cover, in an afternoon. You, you witness a shocking transition. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit does some pretty cool things. He, this is how the Old Testament says it. He comes upon people. And so you have Samson, an absolute fool. Okay? The reason we, I have no idea why we read Samson bedtime stories to our kids at night. It's the dumbest idea. Like, yeah, he was a completely godless man, but the Spirit would come upon him. He'd murder a bunch of dudes. Then he'd do stupid stuff with a prostitute. Whoa, 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 we leave that out of the Bible study, right? We leave that at, he just did great things with the jawbone of an ass, son. So go be like Samson, except not the, no, wait, right? We shouldn't, we should just probably not teach our kids about that right now unless we understand what's going on. What's going on, in a sense, in the Holy Spirit is, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. You see, it was Saul, come upon him, he would prophesy, he'd do things he couldn't do. It, it was the Holy Spirit with people, the Holy Spirit up on people. It was enabling them to do great things for God. But then, it's interesting, as we come to the New Testament, as we begin to read the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit with Jesus, leads him out into the desert, leads him places. But then Jesus, in, in John 14, he says this. This is right before Jesus is about to go to the cross, die, and then leave his disciples. He'd been walking with them for three or so years, right? He says this in John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, remember the Son, is asking the Father, 
and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Oh, there's another name. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. We see a few really good things here, don't we? One, first, the Holy Spirit is called our helper. He's our advocate, right? He enables us. He pleads to us or pleads to the Father for us. He's our advocate to the Father. Let me go, let me just move that quick, quickly. Second, he will be with them forever. Jesus says, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to be with you forever. Third, he's called the Spirit of Truth. That means the Holy Spirit does not lie, right? I could go off on that, but I won't. The world, next thing, the world cannot receive him. The Holy Spirit is only for believers. Only Christians get the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want to get at. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Did you see the slight change in the prepositional phrase at the very end of that sentence? The spirit will be, who is with you, the spirit who is with you will be in you. Jesus here is telling his disciples that after his death and resurrection, something special is going to take place. As Jesus leaves this planet, the Holy Spirit will take his place and he will no longer just be with them, enabling them for service like in the Old Testament and like he did with Jesus. Like Jesus had been with them the past few years, helping them along, he's with them. Now the Holy Spirit will be in them. I want you to think about this. What's better than having Jesus with you? Well, Jesus says, having the Holy Spirit in you is better. And then Romans 8, 9, look at verse 9, makes this perfectly clear. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God, what? Dwells in you. See, the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about that. You are, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Well, I don't want to be one of those weird spirit-filled type Christians. But here we see that's, that, that's the only type of Christian there is. Anyone, text, Bible, anyone who does not have the spirit does not belong to God. Hear me. Anyone who does not have the spirit does not belong to God. There are people here who are trying really hard to be Christians. You've lived your life very moral and you're miserable because you're trying to be a Christian and the only way to be a Christian is to have the spirit of God in you. You can't be a Christian without the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God is what makes you a Christian. The Holy Spirit, God moving in and dwelling in you. See, the Holy Spirit, 
All the work that I talked about, the work of adoption, the work of life, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, all of that work, the Holy Spirit does not do, listen, from outside of us like a surgeon would. A surgeon stands outside of us and opens us up and does the work needed to repair us and to heal us and to fix us. The Holy Spirit doesn't work on us like that. The Holy Spirit works more like a remodeler works on your home. He comes in and he he kicks some posts and he pulls back some sheetrock and he goes down into your basement. It's embarrassing, right? Oh, no, ooh, yeah, it's been a while since we've cleaned that, right? Remodeler comes in and doesn't matter how good it looks on the outside, he comes inside and he does his work on the inside. It's an intimate process. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us. It's a, it's a process that requires his personal presence in our soul. And this freaks a lot of people out. Whoa, it's not what I signed up for. I'm here because I want to make sure my kids don't go crazy in college. I'm here because my kids need a moral foundation and a moral structure to base their life on. I'm here because I don't want to be like those crazy people out there shooting up schools, or I don't want my kids to be that either. I just want a little bit of God, just enough to help me out when I feel anxious. I want just enough God, I don't want him to intrude into my life, I want just enough God that when I'm feeling depressed or lonely, I get a a, a sense that just helps me over that hump. See, when you realize that Christianity is not for you, if that's what you want, Christianity is not the religion that that you're after, it freaks people out. Religion is no longer safe. God is no longer distant and vague. He's intimately close with us. He's in us through the Spirit. And honestly, I'm not sure how I like that idea. There's areas in my soul that I don't know if I want him to see. And this is why our country is full of spiritually shallow people. I came across this poem this week, written about 50 or 60 years ago. I want to read it. It's called three. I wish we could have put the whole thing on there. $3 worth of God. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Is that what you want? Be honest. Just enough of God not to mess up your life, not to interrupt the promotion, not to get in the way of the the kids' practices, not to change the neighborhood you're in, not... Just enough of God not to make the neighbors think you're weird. I'll tell you this, no one experiences revival like that. 
In revival, that concept of God gets obliterated and people wake up to the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That God has no desire to be some kind of distant idea that you go to when things get rough or you're having some existential crisis. God is not a vending machine. You're hungry and you go to it and you get a little bit to tithe you over. God the Father, God the Son, sent the Holy Spirit so that he could live in you. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. See, God does not want to be distant. He wants to literally be inside of you to dwell in your heart. He desires that kind of intimacy with you. But here's something I learned a few years ago. When my mother-in-law moved in with us for about a year, your roommates change your life. When my mother-in-law moved in, it changed the way my entire family related to one another and operated in our family and in our house. Right? (laughs) Really? Nobody gets that. Okay. There are things that you normally do in your home that when your mother-in-law is living with you, you no longer can do. Right? You wake up, you get up, there she is. Right? Like, I'm a touchy-feely guy. That's what I like. My wife likes that about me. Like, I, I don't mind a little PDA in the home. I like to gross the kids out. It's fine with me. But when, when grandma's there, it's kind of, <laughs> right? I feel like I'm going to get scolded or something, right? So things stopped. When grandma moved in, there was things I stopped doing, right? There was all kind of, she had her own space now, so you had to be quiet when she was sleeping. Everybody had to, to change their lives around her, You know this, when you get a roommate, your life has to take the shape of that, right? There's things you stop doing. There's things you stop bringing into the house. Let me ask you this. This is what what we're hearing today. That the God of the universe, that the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit wants to come in and live in you, wants to move in to your soul. Let me ask you, how would your daily life change if Jesus moved into your house? That's essentially what we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit moving into you. He's a person. He is the Holy Spirit. He is a person. His first, right, his first name should tell us something about him. Holy. Right? He's holy. If he moves in, how's that going to change the way you live your life? Now, if that makes you feel weird right now, if all you can think about is, I should, I'd probably stop watching that, that show on Netflix, that HBO special, oh, might feel a little awkward if Jesus is sitting on the couch with me. <laughs> Jesus, cover your eyes. If all I can think about, when I hear that, listen, if I, when I say, how would your life change if Jesus moved in as your roommate, and all you can think about is, I would probably clean up my life. I would probably clean up my act. 
then you have not been set free from the law of sin and death. This isn't, when I hear Jesus is moving in, the spirit of God's moving in, so I better clean up my act. This isn't clean up your act because Jesus is watching. That's moralism. That's the law of sin and death. Let me add this to it. Your roommate should change what you bring into the house. That might be true. I stopped watching something because I realized the spirit is in me. Jesus is with me. I stopped watching something. I stopped doing certain things. That might be true. But your roommate, (laughs) I don't know how to say this. Your roommate is also not you and therefore has power and gifts that you don't have. When I married my wife and we moved in together in that order, she brought a whole new power into my life. She's kind, she's creative, she's beautiful, she's artistic, she's a great homemaker, she's a great cook. Now, I could say, well, did I stop bringing certain things into the house? Absolutely, I did, right? Haven't had another date since then, right? It's one thing I stopped bringing over, right? (laughs) Guess what else? I also, (laughs) I stopped bringing Little Debbie's and Totino's pizzas in, Right? I used to live on that stuff. Right? She brought a whole new power into my life and into our home. And the same is true. She could say the same thing about me. She's full of ideas and creativity, and she's phenomenal at starting projects. (laughs) Right? Look, honey, I just bought another piece of furniture for you to refinish. (laughs) For me to start and you to finish. She says things to me like this. So what would it look like if we opened up this wall to our kitchen? Right? And guess what? I've got the power and the ability to do that. So I do that. Can we build this or remodel that? You bet. See, your roommate brings a new power into the home, a new skill set, new gifts. But what's interesting to me is the more I think about it, this power isn't just a power to get stuff done. It's a power that radically changes a person. See, Amanda's presence and her personality began to change me as a person. That I am a kinder man today because I've lived in the same house with Amanda for 14 years. Her presence has literally changed me. And she would say she's bolder because she's lived with me, right? She's stronger because she's lived with me. She'll speak her mind more than she used to because she's lived with me. (laughs) And we are better people because we have lived with each other for the past 14 years. Now, listen, let's apply that to the Holy Spirit, One, there are things that we stop doing in the presence of another. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 
That there are some things we do that, bring, that grieve the spirit, that hurt the spirit, that cause the spirit to kind of shy away and be like, oh, not again, don't do that. And if the spirit is the one who brings life and reminds us of our adoption and speak good news, speaks good news to us and says, God is your father now, he's your daddy, he loves you, he's forgiving and kind, why would we want to grieve that guy? Secondly, the Holy Spirit brings a new power to the home. He brings a new power inside of us. Romans 8.13 says it this way. For if you live according to the flesh, that means in your own strength, in your own power, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We're, we're told in this, what is the Spirit, what has the Spirit done? The Spirit has raised Jesus from the dead. The same Spirit that moved into a dead human being and resurrected them and gave them a new physical body that could walk through walls and then sit on a chair and eat fish. Some kind of other dimensional body. New created body. The Holy Spirit that has that kind of power has moved into our neighborhood, has moved into us. And he says, he's there to help you put to death the deeds of the body, the works of the flesh, the sins that easily beset you. By the Spirit. Listen, this is so hard to get across to people. The Spirit working in us, helping us believe and trust the gospel, helps us put Sin to death in us. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. What that means is the Holy Spirit inside of me allows me to put, a, put my boot on the throat of the enemy. To put my boot on the throat of sin. And here's the problem. As soon as I take it off, he's right back on me. The Spirit enables you. Listen. It empowers you to kill the addiction to lust. Men, you can be set free from your addiction to pornography and the shame that goes with it and the guilt that comes with it and the fear that comes with it. The spirit can do it. You can't do it. You've, you've tried over and over. I won't do it again. I won't do it again. I know people who have cut themselves, who have burned themselves at trying to use the, the tools of the flesh to overcome lust. Doesn't work. You can beat yourself bloody. Doesn't work. But by the Spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the body. By the Spirit, you can do it. And lastly, another, their their personhood and their present presence changes us as a person. Listen, as the Holy Spirit comes into you, it changes you as a person. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 5. I don't think I put this on the slide. I apologize. Galatians chapter 5. Flip to the right a little bit. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 16. When you're there, say there. 
Verse 16, the apostle Paul writing, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. So there's a battle going on. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Why is it so hard to be a good moral person? Why is it so hard? Right? To love one person for the rest of your life. Why is that so hard? Because the flesh and the spirit are, at a, are opposed to one another. There's a war going on. Keep reading. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, the law of sin and death. Now, he's going to list here. Well, what, is, what, what does my flesh want to do? What, is, what does that mean? Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Why do you get so angry? Why can't you control your anger? your flesh rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these I warn you as I've warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God that's the law of sin and death that's our flesh that's what we get pulled towards Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit here, guys, not your spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. What's he saying? As the Holy Spirit moves into you, you begin to take on the behavior of the Holy Spirit. He begins to change you from the inside out. Just like I live with my wife and I've become a gentler, kinder person by being in her presence. Oh, that's how you, people respond like that? People can do that? I've never seen that. I get. I might be able to do that. Let me try that next time. We're changed through relationships. And it's no different with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. As he comes into us, the Holy Spirit is these things. Jesus is our, he is these things. He is peaceful, right? He's the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Joy. He is the one who has self-control. He is the one who's gentle and kind. And when he moves into your soul, he makes you like that. He changes you. I want to, I hope that's a, I hope that's a new thought for you. The spirit works in us. It does, he doesn't, now that this is, let me say this. You've seen the freaky movies where a spirit comes into a person, right? And takes over their body and they change their voice and all that kind of thing. Okay, that's not helpful here. <laughs> that's not how the spirit works, right? I just know I'm in the spirit because my voice gets real deep, right? 
out of nowhere, I'm like, that was God speaking right there. Did you hear that? The spirit. No, no, no. The spirit works through your personality. It still takes your effort. Still takes your discipline. I'm just waiting for the spirit to wake me up at 4.30 a.m. to read my Bible. Didn't work. No, no, the spirit would say the night before, hey, bud, set your alarm. Is that me or God, right? It's probably God. It's probably God. If it says get a burrito, probably you, <laughs> all right? No, 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 he works through us. Set an alarm, get up earlier. Go to bed earlier. Spirit works through us. Should it be hard? Absolutely. Throwing a fastball is hard. Throwing a spiral is hard. Putting, the works, putting to death the works of the flesh, equally hard. If it wasn't hard, no, 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 it's not hard. It's impossible without the Spirit. It's impossible without the Spirit. You want the fruit of the Spirit? You don't produce that on your own. The Spirit in you produces it. So let me ask you this morning. First off, you're here And listen, you've been coming to church and you've been hearing the gospel and you've been hearing about Jesus and you've kind of liked God now. Maybe you see God in a different way and you're kind of interested in Jesus. But this Holy Spirit guy, you've kind of been, I'm gonna ask you this morning, why don't don't you be open-minded? Why don't you be open-hearted? Why don't you say, Holy Spirit, would would you come in me? Would you come in me and, and do the things that it says that you will do in Romans chapter 8. I don't want any condemnation in me anymore. I, I want to be set free from the law of sin and death. I want to be adopted into the family of God. I want to have life in my body. I want to have power to overcome the sin and the flesh in my life. Holy Spirit, would you come in me? And there's some of us in here that you have the Spirit and you've been grieving Him. God's not far from you. You've you've put your palm in the face of the Spirit and turned your head away because you want to live your life the way you want to live it. He doesn't care what I watch. He doesn't care what I read. He doesn't care what I do. He doesn't care. And then you wonder why your sense of love for Him and affection for Him and your sense of His love for you is dull. Would you repent of that this morning? Say, Holy Spirit, I repent for grieving you. And there's some of us in this room that we need to listen to the Spirit. In this text, it says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does that mean? We obey the Spirit. When the Spirit says, go to missional community, we go to missional community. When the Spirit says, share your faith, we share our faith. When the Spirit says, read the word, we read the word. When the Spirit says, pray, we pray. When the Spirit says, walk away, we walk away. When the Spirit says, shut your mouth, we shut our mouth. Some of us, we need to stop doing some things in this power of the Spirit, and some of us need to start doing some new things in the power of the Spirit. What is that this morning? You know what that is for you? What, what, what one thing is the Spirit speaking to you right now that you need to start doing? This is, see the, as we believe the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, and we put our faith in Christ, the Spirit moves into us, and now we have the Holy Spirit in us, and that does come with power to enable us 
to put sin to death and to live new godly lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's God wanting to empower you to do this week? Start reading your Bible. Start praying. Start going to missional community. Start speaking up at missional community. Share your faith with somebody at work. Can we be attentive to the Spirit this morning? Guys, listen, the Trinity is not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit leads us to the Word, right? The Word is God's, I'm not saying anything against the Bible. I'm going to pray. Father, we are people. I confess as the leader of these people, as the pastor and the shepherd, we are people who are comfortable doing things in the flesh. We're comfortable striving. We're comfortable rolling up our sleeves and working hard. We're comfortable under the law of sin and death. That the law always demands more and more of us, but we thank God that you use the law to drive us to the gospel. That we can never be good enough. And Jesus was good enough for us. That even though we try, we fail and we sin. And because Jesus was condemned for us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, we testify that that is true and that is good news for our souls this morning. Would you breathe new life into your people? Would you help us be aware of the Spirit? Would you help us not grieve the Spirit? Would you help us embrace the Spirit and walk in step with the Spirit and be led by the Spirit? Would we be a church that submits ourselves to the kind, gentle, lovely Holy Spirit? And would you produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us? Patience, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Would you produce that in us? Father, this would not be to our own glory, this would be to your glory because we know only your Holy Spirit can do it. Thank you. Father, we know that it cost you a great deal to send the Spirit to us. On the night that you were betrayed by your closest friends, you broke bread with them and you said, this is my body that's broken for you. And then you shared a cup of wine and you said, this is my blood that's poured out for the salvation of many. And this was the cost to send the Spirit for God not to be with us, but God to be in us. It cost you your very life. And so this morning we remember that as we come and as we receive the body and we receive the blood. We're reminded that this was the cost for God to be with us and in us. And we eat it in worship. God, you are better than we thought. Father, you're kinder than we ever imagined. Jesus, you're more generous. You can even think about Holy Spirit, you're closer than a brother. 
We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.